Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Dishing with Digest. I'm Stephanie Sloan, Editorial Director, here with Mara Levinsky, Executive Editor. Hi, everyone. Well, Mara, we skipped a week and there's a lot to catch up on. So first of all, we have to acknowledge the passing of Elizabeth Hubbard, best known as As the World Turns as Lucinda, but also made her mark as Althea on The Doctors. She was 89. Now, I was a huge World Turns fan in the 80s. I was sucked in by the romance of Lillian Dusty that quickly morphed into Lillian Holden. But because Lily was key in both of these pairings, I was also so charmed by the character of Lucinda. And Martha Byrne, who played Lily and Liz, remained in very close touch. Martha posted the most loving tribute to her on social media and it just really touched me. Um, The last time I saw Liz was actually with you after the daytime Emmys in 2018, where CBS celebrated 30 years as number one in daytime and brought back a bunch of old stars who had been on their various shows. And uh, Liz was with Martha. And I just remember we had such a nice chat with her uh, and she will certainly be missed. Absolutely. Um, In other real life news, Daisy's Lamone Archie, who played Eli, has tied the knot with Kristen Terry. So congratulations to them. And Jacqueline McInnes Wood, who plays Steffi on Bold and Beautiful, announced on the talk, which was also on her birthday, no less, that she's expecting baby number four with her husband, Elon Ruspoli. The couple has three boys, Rise, Lennox, and Brando. And I know you join me in congratulating the couple on their impending arrival. I do indeed. Now in uh, casting news, some legacy offspring have new faces across several soaps. Joshua Hoffman made his B&B debut today as Ridge Forrester Jr., while GH introduced a new Charlotte, Anna Sophia Bianchi, and a new Ethan with James Ryan, assuming the role once played by Nathan Parsons. Emma Sams, who plays Ethan's mother, Holly, sang his praises to me and told me that the first time Uh, She saw James, especially because he was wearing a mask. She was totally caught off guard by how much he physically resembles her real life son, Cameron. Uh, The reintroduction of Ethan also ushered in the return of Tracy Quartermain, which we have been looking forward to for months now. Everybody at GH is over the moon to have her portrayer, Jane Elliott, back in her legendary role. I just spoke with uh, Wally Kurth, who plays her son, Ned, and he told me that it just feels more like General Hospital to him when Jane is there and he's playing the Ned-Tracy relationship. I feel that way as a viewer as well. Me too. And yeah, I'm just so happy that we'll get to see Tracy wreaking havoc at the Q Mansion before too long. Uh, Another GH return worth mentioning is the return of Chase to the PCPD. It took long enough, but the poor guy has finally been reinstated. And with that and the conclusion of the Link-Blaze arc, both Dan Baran, Link, and Jacqueline Grace Lopez-Blaze have wrapped their runs on the show. 
Um, some quick days casting news to mention. We will see the addition of Jasper Newman as mysterious newcomer Colin. So stay tuned to see who he is and how he connects to the Candace. And if you are a longtime Days fan or even one that is newer to the show, be sure that you're watching Peacock next week. It is the big moment where Bo and Hope finally come face to face. Uh, there is drama aplenty in the episode, which I absolutely cannot spoil, but we do have a preview from head writer Ron Carlovati in the new issue, so check that out as well. And anyone who watched this week knows that Eileen Davidson, who plays Young and Restless's Ashley, has returned to Days briefly to reprise the role of Thomas Banks, one of the Banks siblings that she first began playing in the late 90s when she pulled off her tour de force dual roles of Susan and Kristen. You know, I love that she goes back and forth between Days and Genoa City. I appreciate so much that the shows are cool about having her appear in both places. And by no means do I feel it diminishes one role or the other. I mean, look at Wally Kurth, who you mentioned. He's just as great as Days as Justin as he is as GH as Ned. Absolutely. And the, the sharing is caring mentality has obviously worked out well for Greg Rickard. Also, when he goes back and forth as Leo on Days and Kevin on YNR, I, I am addicted to Eileen as Thomas. So I hope that uh, we'll see more of that. Now, another thing I want to mention about the new issue of Digest is a really fun section where we talked to actors across the daytime landscape about what it was like for them to appear alongside some of the memorable celebrity cameos that soaps have hosted. Lynn Herring, GH's Lucy, had some amazing uh, anecdotes about her interactions with RuPaul and Richard Simmons. Weiner's Michelle Stafford, Phyllis, dished about sharing the stage with Katy Perry just as her career was skyrocketing. And I learned that when Daisy's Eric Martzoff Brady uh, worked with HGTV star Nate Berkus, he came armed with a list of home decor questions, but ended up losing his nerve, or as he put it, he, he froze. <laughs> so I, I highly recommend uh, checking that feature out. Oh, me too. It is so much fun. Uh, now, speaking of Eric Martzoff, we've also printed that he and our guest today, who is a bandmate of his, enjoy sharing a spot of tea together. It's Brandon Barash, who has played Daisy's Stefan, Jake, and now Stefan again, plus has some exciting real life stuff going on. So let's get him on the line for a catch up. Hi, Brandon. Hi. How you doing? How are you? I'm doing well. Doing well. How about yourselves? All good here. Totally. Well, yeah. we are thrilled that this worked out. We have tried to get you a few times over the past few months. So, um, but you know, yeah. timing is everything <laughs> and we're happy it's today. All good things come yeah. to those who wait, right? That's right. Yeah. Definitely for us. Um, now, this is not your yeah. first time on the podcast. So we definitely did a bit of a deep dive the last time, but now we're going to go even deeper. We're going to, we're, we're going like so deep, only the angler fish are down here, Right. Absolutely. I hope you're ready. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. Well, the last time we had All you right. on the podcast, we heard about how you ditched the pre-med program at USC in favor of focusing full-time yep. on your BFA in pursuit of an acting career. But going to school for that acting and acting professionally are, of course, two vastly different things. So tell us how you actually yes. got your foothold in the industry post-graduation and you know started going out on auditions and all of that. Okay. So post-graduation, let's see. That would be, so USC circa 2002, I just aged myself. Uh, we had a really great uh, program uh, at the end, at the culmination of a really great event, I should say, at the end of our program at USC called the uh, BFA Showcase. And what that was, it was uh, comprised of all of the students in the BFA program, plus a few additional students from the BA program who uh, invited 
all industry professionals, agents, managers, casting directors, casting executives, et cetera, et cetera, to I think it was in either either two or three night showcase at the Odyssey Theater in uh, West L.A. And each of us had a scene to perform with one other partner. So it was a bunch of people paired up. I want to say it was like 20, 22 of us, 10 or 11 scenes. And, um, you know, we sat there in weeks before we rehearsed, we stuffed envelopes full of pictures, resumes, et cetera, performed our showcase. And we all just kind of crossed our fingers and hoped that the phone would ring the next day. And so I was lucky enough and I got some phone calls from various agencies and casting directors and got what they call hip pocketed by an agency. And uh, in other words, they the agency says, well, we like you, but not enough to sign you. So we're going to send you on a few auditions and see how it goes. And so um, I was also fortunate, for, fortunate enough. I had my choice of a few agencies to choose between, and I chose between this, this one. And they sent me on a handful of auditions. This was in, um, I think we graduated in May or June. And by the, either the end of July or beginning of August, I had booked my first role on the Gilmore Girls. So after I proved myself to this agency, they said, you know what? Okay, you can work and you can book work and they're having you back so you can keep work and have repeat work. So here you go. So I was with them for, God, I want to say at least seven years. I don't remember. But uh, yeah, that's that's how it went. Do you remember the first audition that you went on, the first professional audition? You know, I have never been asked that question, and that is a great question. Um, I don't. How crazy is that? Well, you, I have no recollection. Before you write your memoirs, I remember. Brandon. Yeah, right. I remember the Gilmore Girls audition. <clears throat> I remember <clears throat> my callback. I was in Manhattan Beach. I had spent the night in Manhattan Beach, and I thought, all right, that's. Um, I've got my audition at like two o'clock in the afternoon. I'll spend the night, have a leisurely morning, and then make my way up for my audition at Warner Brothers. At let's let's just call it two o'clock. So I wake up, and this was before you know we had cell phones, and we could get online and check ways and see how long it's going to take us to get there, right? Or Google Maps. So all we had was a Thomas Guide, which was a, a big book. And it was filled and it made no, no sense whatsoever. There was no rhyme or reason to this book because you'd open up to page like 89 where the map was where you were. And let's say you've got to make it from Manhattan Beach to uh, up to Warner Brothers in Burbank. You can't just like follow the map. No, you have to go to 89 and then, oh, your road stops here on, on say, the, the, the right side of the page. You logically think you flip the page and pick it up there. No, it says turn to page 272. So you flip to page 272, all while you're driving your car. Like people worry about people on cell phones, which of course is a very real, very dangerous hazard. But we had these freaking <laughs> photo album sized maps that were just like, ah, uh, and you're swerving out of the way. Like It's just crazy. So anyway, I had no idea. I estimated it would take me an hour, hour and a half to get there. There was a terrible accident and it took me well over two hours to get there. I was 20, 30 minutes late for my callback. And I was mortified. <clears throat> I had called my manager and said, look, here's what's going on. I'm going to be late. Uh, will they still see me? I was so green. And uh, he, he called me back. He said, yes, they'll still see you. You're their last person. So try and hurry. I was like, dude, I, I can't move the cars. I'm, if I had a freaking Jetson helicopter car, like I would take it. But I got there. I was, I think, 20, 30 minutes late. 
And I walked in and I kind of just stopped and I looked at them and I said, you want me to start groveling now or what? And they laughed. It released the tension. And I said, look, when I get the job, I will be on time on set, I promise. And I did my audition and they gave me some notes. I did it again. And I left thinking, well, I blew that because I was so late. I thought, you know, that's all they cared about. Got a call on my way home. I booked the job. So um, I do remember the Gilmore girl. The, I don't remember my first audition. I remember the first audition that I booked. Yeah. Well, I feel like that show right? has yeah. also such a cult following. Like every generation now finds that show. Do you get a lot of just people who recognize you from it still? Uh, yes. There are either people who recognize me from it or people who, you know, I'll meet and then, you know, somehow it'll... I don't know if like they'll ask me about about my my career path or whatever, and I'll mention it, and they'll be like, "Wait, you were on Gilmore Girls? Wait, oh no!" Like they just yeah. So that's amazing. Well, you were working as a manager at Nordstrom when you booked General Hospital. Was Was that the only day job you had before you were able to support yourself as an actor, or did you dabble in other? Means of income. Uh, officially, so in 2000, I was a junior in college, and my dad said, "What are you doing for the summer?" And they were living in St. Louis at the time, and uh, he said, "Are you are you coming to St. Louis for the summer?" I said, "No, I want to stay in L.A." I got signed by this agency, which was this you know tiny agency that did absolutely nothing for me, and I actually had the opportunity to go to Scotland and be an exchange student in Scotland at their theater festival over that summer. But I stooped that like my one regret in life has been not going and, and doing a foreign exchange program in Scotland for that summer. Cause they do like something crazy, like eight to 12 plays in like nine or 10 weeks. And it was just, it's, you hear the craziest stories from students coming back. So my dad said, all right, you're not going to Scotland. You're not going to, uh, you're not coming home. You got to get a job. I'm not just, you know, floating you for the whole summer. You know, you got to work. I was like, ah, okay. So I go and interview at a bunch of places and got hired at Nordstrom. Okay. This is two years in my junior, before my junior year. So I worked at Nordstrom for two years. And when I graduated, um, they asked me what I wanted to do. I said, look, this isn't my career path. I got to be honest with you guys. The first opportunity I get to leave, I'm going to leave. But if you guys will have me, I will stay here and work my ass off until. I can leave. And they said, okay, we'd love to have you full time. So it was awesome because not only did I get hired kind of full time by Nordstrom, but I got health benefits. I got, you know, I got the whole thing. I got stock benefits when I was 22 years old. You know, it was just great. It was a really, felt like I had a real job, even though I knew that that's not, you know, what I was going to end up doing. And so the best thing about that job was I would call my boss at six o'clock the night before I was supposed to go into work and say, Hey, I got an audition. I got to be, you know, at, at Burbank studios at, at, at 10 AM. I'm supposed to work at nine. Can I come in late? Or can I take a two, three hour lunch? Cause I've got an audition in Santa Monica during lunch. And every time it was, yes, we'll make it work. And so I held on to that job for dear life. And I worked my ass off every minute I was there because I just wanted them to know, like I was grateful and, and, while I'm here, you have me 100%. And so uh, I held on to that job. Oh, in 2006, I actually got recruited to uh, take over as manager of the men's store uh, at the Fossenop store in Beverly Hills. So that's the management job you're talking about. 
And that is, that's the only, uh, that was the only day job I ever had. Wow. That's great. And yeah. cool that they were so great about letting you out for sure. Um, now they before, were incredible. Uh, now before GH cast you as Johnny Sakara in 2007, you had been up for a number of different roles on the show. So do you remember any of the characters you'd been in contention for? I don't. Uh, I want to say one of them might have been Logan because uh, he went on a little bit before I did, uh, maybe a year or so. I, I definitely did an audition for Spinelli. <laughs> um, <laughs> let's see. Did I audition? I may have auditioned for Georgie. No, I didn't audition. <laughs> just, seeing, just seeing if you guys are listening. Just seeing if you're listening. Uh, I had to have a moment no, there I, for I, a second. I'm like, hmm. I have. I had been in for them probably, I don't know, five to seven times, I would say, before that. And uh, Tesher and I hit it off immediately. He liked what, you know, he liked what he saw. He liked my work. And it was just a matter of, I think, finding the right part. Mm -hmm. And so when I got the audition for Johnny, the second I was at work, I was at the Fossen Ops store doing like counting, uh, literally counting shoe boxes up in the stock room, getting ready for in inventory. And my manager, I think um, this was before I, no, I had to have had a, I think I had a cell phone, um, called me and said, hey, you got an audition for General Hospital tomorrow, I'll send you the sides, it's a really fun role. I immediately left the stock room, printed them out in my office, went to another stock room that was a little more far removed from all the action and took a clipboard with me so I could pretend like I was counting, but it was really so I could like break down my sides. <laughs> and so I go into this, uh, like I said, I gave them 110%, right? Uh, and so I went into the stock room and I read this, the, the sides and, um, for people who don't know what sides are, they are the, it's the excerpts from the script uh, that they use to audition characters, to audition actors for different characters. So I'm reading these sides and the second I took them out and started reading, I thought it's not going to anybody else. This is mine. And it was. Wow. Yeah. So, and it was interesting because it came at a time where I was feeling pretty despondent. Like you, you hear this story a lot. It's always when, you know, the, the, the actor is like, I don't know how much longer I can do this. I obviously was never going to quit. I was going to, you know, succeed or die trying. But um, I was in a place where I, I like at the end of 2006, beginning of 2007, I worked a ton. You know, I was doing guest stars on really great shows. I booked a national commercial and then it dried up for months. I was like, what the hell's going on? And so I was in a place where I was feeling pretty, like I said, pretty despondent and discouraged. And finally, you know, this happened. So it was, the timing was interesting. Mm -hmm. So you were uh, in the role of Johnny for six years or so and had some really well-liked pairings. So let's, let's mm -hmm. get your takes on, on, on them. So what stands okay. out to you about working with Julie Marie Berman, who played Lulu. Uh, she was great. I mean, she was obviously, as, as you guys know, and probably a lot of the people listening, she was my first pairing on the show. That's who I was brought in to, to be paired up with. And from the get-go, she made me feel comfortable on set. Uh, we just laughed the entire time. Uh, and, that, you know, so that was fun. Uh, but we're very professional at the same time. We'd run our lines and, and you know, figure out good moments. Uh, she was a really fun, fun scene partner. Mm -hmm. Well, what about Lisa Lo Cicero, who plays Olivia and was the other half of the couple known as Jolivia? Joe Livia. Yes, that was, I mean, as you guys know, that pairing was kind of lightning in a bottle from, from the moment, um, 
they met in that bar. And it was, you know, I think at the time it was um, what they called a cougar storyline, if I may. Right. You know, younger guy with a slight, even though she's not, I don't think she's that much older than I am. Uh, but uh, that was, you know, she was kind of playing with, with the, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna, I don't mean it in the technical sense, but older, you know, like the sunny and the, and the, uh, that whole crowd. And I was in kind of with the younger people, the, the twenties people. And so it was, there wasn't a pairing like that on the show at that moment. And from, you know, our first scene in that bar, it was just, it was, we were off to the races. It was so much fun. And, um, I think we worked very well together. She, you know, this was back in the time where we would get to do multiple takes sometimes. And every take was kind of different. It was, it was a really fun pairing. Mm -hmm. Uh, before I ask you about the, the next name on the list, I just feel compelled to give you an update on the haunted star, which your character uh, operated as a nightclub. It has yeah. been taken out onto the open seas by Victor Cassadine. It's 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 not a good situation. He's got many. It was taken. <laughs> it was taken out onto the open seas. Yes. Okay. It's, there's there's a lot of drama afoot. I I I, I you got out just in time. Um, oh, guess so. But, but what about Laura Wright, who plays Carly and was Johnny's date to the opening of the Haunted Star as a nightclub? <laughs> oh, that's right. That's right. Um, that was that was a fun pairing as well. I remember Laura and I, we were paired up on that kind of bizarro what would have happened if episode or series of episodes where I don't know, something was going on with Sonny and I can't remember what it was, but someone was having these dreams of like what what uh port charles would be like had you know events a b c and d either never happened or happened differently and we were paired up and i remember we afterwards were both kind of like oh wow that was fun that was because we never really had anything but contentious interactions and so eventually they paired us up and i mean you know she she was great she goes for it every time and um you know i i am a very similar actor as well and so that was um yeah it was an interesting pairing it was fun um, now, when you think about the years you spent in Port Charles, you know, obviously they were significant to you personally because you share your beautiful daughter, my birthday twin, Harper, mm. with your ex-wife, Kirsten Storm, yeah. Taxi, um, and you made some very lasting friendships. But can you point to how you feel that period of time and working so consistently influenced you as an actor? Yeah, it was, uh, it was, you know, it was kind of a coming of age time for me because because I went from being kind of a carefree young gentleman to becoming a man by the time I left the show because, you know, I, I, I had a daughter and, and, uh, you know, life had changed. And so uh, it, it definitely made me appreciate what I had because before, you know, I graduated college in 02 and started working almost immediately, as we talked about, but it took five years in order to book work that was consistent enough and well-paying enough uh, to where I could fully support myself as an actor. So it definitely made me appreciate what I had, even though I gave it all up and, and left just because I wanted something different. Um, but it definitely made me appreciate what I had and uh, made me appreciate the work, the consistency, uh, Certainly not working a day job anymore. I mean, I uh, to the the day I left, and still to this day, on my desk at home, I have my business card from Nordstrom, 
so I don't forget where I came from and uh, use that as a constant reminder and, and an inspiration to to push and and and, you know, to know how also how quickly it can all go away. So um, it, it changed me in, in that sense. It gave me a lot of great perspective. I would say, you know, a lot of my experience there uh, took me from a, a young male to a to a to a man. And uh, it was a, it was a great experience. So it was in 2019 that the Daytime Fold welcomed Yabak as Stefan O'Damira, yes. created by your former GH co-star Tyler Christopher. What appealed to you at that yes. time about accepting another soap assignment? Um, I mean, you want me to be honest? It was the money. <laughs> it was, it was, um, you know things things happened in my personal life that we don't really need to get into. Um, but you know, I, I found myself uh, with my daughter and realizing, you know what? I am no longer in a place where I can pick and choose where my work is coming from. Yes, I can be discerning and say, I don't want to do that B horror C horror film you know, that's going to shoot out in the desert for three weeks and I'm going to be shooting 14 hours a day and come home with $2,000. Um, I can say no to those things. But if something comes along where it's going to offer me the opportunity to support, you know, me and my daughter who was who was living with me, then I need to take that. And so it was it was really as simple as that. Yes. You know, I met with Albert and Greg uh, Ming was still here uh, in those days. So I met with them and their pitch was obviously attractive as far as the character went and and the storyline. But ultimately, it was me being a single dad making a choice, not from the young gentleman's perspective, but from the man's perspective of I need to provide for my little girl. Well, from a deja vu all over again perspective, your first few months on the show saw lots of sparks flying between both Stefan and Chloe and Stefan and Gabby. And I think yes. she was sort of surprised by how big of a response the Stefan and Gabby relationship got. But tell us, first of all, about what you remember about first starting to work with Nadia Bjorlin, who plays Chloe, and developing that relationship. It was, I mean, it was God, those first few days, those first, you know, that first week on set was just insanity. Um you know, I went from being a full-time single dad to, you know, and working every once in a while to, uh, hey, man, it's Thursday. You start on Monday and you've got about 40 pages. And I mean, there was definitely a, a, a moment of thinking like, can I still, do I still have that capacity in my brain to absorb, distill, and and then, you know, honestly perform 40 pages of dialogue? Uh, and Nadia was incredible, uh, just such a great scene partner. Uh, I lament that, you know, we, we did not get to work enough together. I feel like, uh, I love, love her as a person, love her as an actor. Uh, it was a lot of fun and she had my back from day one. She, you know, showed me all around the studio and, uh, she even, you know, I don't think we had each other's numbers back in at that time before I started the show. She, reached out on one of the social media platforms and said, Hey, we're working together. If you need anything, you know, let me know if you have any questions. So it was, it was awesome working with her. That's really nice. Yeah. Uh, and then of course there is the lovely Camila Banis who plays Gabby. What, what stands yeah. out to you about working with her in those early days of the Stefan and Gabby romance? It was, um, you know, that was also kind of an instant lightning in a bottle thing. It was, uh, 
It was um, very easy to work with her. She, I always knew if I, you know, threw a fireball at her, she'd throw it back harder. Uh, and it was, it was really fun. Uh, you know, we got to take our relationship from a very um, contentious, slightly sexually frustrated dynamic to, you know, two people who are just madly in love with one another. And um, yeah, I, I always knew that um, if I brought it, she was going to bring it. Now, did you know at the time that it was working, that there was something a little special going on in your scenes? Yeah, you can feel when you've finished a scene, you can always feel like, oh, wow, that that went really well. Or that was that was like worse than my first play in high school bad. Like that was, you know what I mean? I mean, I don't think I've ever felt that, but I'm just... You know, you can feel when it's good. You can feel when it's not. And, you know, I am certainly my own worst critic. Uh, I'm very hard on myself and I don't watch the show. So I don't I don't see my performances. Uh, but I know from back in uh, on my my days on General Hospital, I know that if I finished a scene and was dissatisfied, if I went back and watched it when it was on TV, it was never as bad as I thought it was. And if I really rocked a scene and went and watched it, it wasn't always as great as I thought it was. So, you know, you always have a sense for how it goes. But, you know, as an actor, you know, certainly for me, the first hit, I would say, and we're, we're talking from when I started in high school, uh, I would say the first 10, 15 years for me was learning how to get out of my head uh, as an actor and not have that voice of, you know, what's my next line? Oh, no, I getting in the place of where you're act actively listening to your scene partner and letting his or her words inform your next line as opposed to seeing it in your mind's eye on the page. That makes sense. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So I'm, I'm curious to know your take on what you think makes for good romantic chemistry on a soap opera where that's such the bread and butter uh, of the genre? Like, do you think it's something that actors either have or don't, or do you think it's something that scene partners can work to create? Well, I don't know where everybody stands on this. Uh, I know where I stand on it. And that's just my approach to the work is showing up every day and doing honest work. And I would say most days I meet that expectation. Uh, there are some days I fall short. Um, again, I'm my own worst critic. But if I'm being honest, it's all about doing honest work, right? If you show up and you are there, like really there for your scene partner and taking her in and really um, like you're having a conversation with with a real life intimate partner. Uh, if you're If you give her that, it's going to be fine. And I mean, I've been paired up with a myriad of women and I'm going to be not so humble and say all those pairings were great. They paired me up with Lauren Coslow. People were like, but that's like kind of a May, December thing. Like there's a, an obvious age difference there. How is that going to work? And it worked because we approached it from an honest place, finding what it is about that character that makes your character need that person. And uh, so I don't think it's anything that could or should be manufactured. I think if you're honest with the work and you treat the person across from you as as a as, as if they're a human being and not a scene partner, you're good. Mm -hmm. I like that. Um, now, the show's original intention was just to have you on in order to complete the arc they had scripted for Stefan, who was killed off later in the year. But clearly, you know, mm. you were working in the role. So do you remember <laughs> how it felt that they did 
actually kill him off at the end of your run? Yeah, um, it it felt weird because it got to a place. It started out. We're gonna have you. This is actually almost identical to how I started on General Hospital. We'll have you here for two or three months, and we're gonna kill you off. And we all know how that ended up at General Hospital. It turned into six, seven years. And here it turned into, as far as like episode time, about a year and maybe a little less. Um, But it was after a few months, they were like, oh, no, we're liking what you're doing. Uh, We're going to keep you on. And then all of a sudden, I heard from a castmate that they were killing the character off. And so I was like, it was it was a a rug out from under me moment. I, I was very taken aback. I was like, okay. Nothing in this life is permanent except impermanence. I'm going to accept it and move on. And so I filmed my last episodes with Grace, I think, and said goodbye. And a few months later, got a phone call from Marnie saying, hey, we want to have you back. I was like, okay. She said, are you interested? I said, I'll have a meeting. I want to hear about it. And that's when they pitched the idea of Jake and said they were open to Opera, uh, to opportunities, to uh, suggestions as far as, you know, what I wanted to bring to the role. Um, I initially wanted him to be like some badass Israeli, like former Israeli Mossad agent or something like that. And they're like, we'd rather you do because they were talking about wanting him to be kind of a, a rough around the edges, blue collar mechanic with with a dialect. And I said, oh, OK, how about he's, you know ex-military but not u.s militaries like you know israel wherever and they're like no let's have it be a domestic accent and i i said okay let me send you i auditioned for this part um i don't know last year and it was for this cop in pittsburgh and they wanted a pittsburgh accent welding instructor alex declare knows firsthand how vr training platforms like forge fx can help meet the demand for skilled workers anywhere you go look there's going to be a shortage of welders vr training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career the beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need explore more stories like alex's at meta.com metaverse impact I said, let me send you that tape. It's a weird accent, but just so you know I can pull it off, I'm going to send it to you. And so I sent it to them. And very soon after, I got a call saying, yep, he's from he's from Pennsylvania. We're doing that. His name is Jake. And this is his deal. I was like, great, let's go. That's that's really fun. So yeah. what was what was fun for you as you actually got into the scripts and the nuts and the bolts of being on set in this new persona? And playing, uh, you know, really creating, I guess, you know, this guy in the same fictional universe as someone you'd previously played who looked like someone you'd previously played, but had a very different personality. Yeah. I mean, literally the nuts and the bolts, right? He was, I mean, there was <laughs> right. never a scene in the beginning where he wasn't tinkering with nuts and bolts and engines. Um, so it was it was a lot of fun for many reasons. The, the first reason that stood out to me was... I was getting to really create a character. And I kind of got to do that on General Hospital too. Johnny wasn't your typical um, leading soap man, but still kind of really fell into that category. Whereas Jake was nothing like I had ever played, um, certainly on on a soap or really anything. Uh, And it was fun to play uh, someone who fell outside of the confines of your typical leading 
leading man who, um, you know, he, and, and this, this kind of dovetails into, you know, how, how is he different from Stefan and playing him in the universe where I did play Stefan? It was all about, um, the way he spoke, the way he stood, the way, uh, he moved his and his internal RPMs. Right. And what I mean by that is, is how he thought and how quickly he thought and how, um, you know, Stefan actually was a very quick and deliberate thinker, whereas Jake's RPMs were a little bit slower and kind of just going with the flow. And, um, you know, whereas Stefan cares a lot about what other people think, Jake, uh, and he's so polished and, 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 and proper, Jake on the outside couldn't give about what people think. Until he gets in, himself in a situation, for example, with uh, Kate, where he gets into like a, a relationship with Kate and he falls for her and feels like she's she might be judging him for where he came from. You know, then then he gives a shit about what people think. But on the whole, Jake didn't really care what people thought about him. He was just Jake and he was the puppy dog and he was there to just kind of get by and have a good time. And yeah, he fell into trouble every now and then, but his intentions were never malicious. Uh, so it was fun to play two very polar opposite characters. And again, the approach for me was, um, you know, it started with the voice and the body language and then that kind of informed the thoughts mm -hmm. that makes any sense. Yeah, absolutely. Now, eventually they morph this character. So first he did start as the mechanic and then he wound up as the CEO of Demerica. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. what was it like for you to, you know, evolve that character into the more business front, working more with the Demeras, the Demera family and the actors who play your on-screen brothers? Yeah, it was fun. It was, you know, it was great because Jake definitely felt like a uh, a fish out of water, you know, in that, in that, um, part of the storyline and, and with that group of people, he put on the suit, but I feel like he had a bit of imposter syndrome every time he put the suit on and he was handed this, you know, this mansion with this money. And all of a sudden it was like, Whoa, what the hell do I even deserve this? Uh, and so it, it was, it was fun uh, and challenging to, to play someone who didn't fully believe he belonged there. If that makes sense. Absolutely. So as your time, as Jake continued to unfold, new leading ladies kind of came into the mix for you. We we touched on Lauren Kozla. What about Tamara mm. Braun as Ava? So much fun. I mean, again, another actress who it doesn't matter what I throw at her, she's going to hit it back. She's not going to watch it go by. There's there's a, a tremendous amount of trust with her uh, and that, that always contributed to very interesting scene work and conversations. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> well, sadly for Jake, he was on the wrong end of a bullet and took his last breath in yeah. 2022. But this was good news for Stefan, who'd been <laughs> yes. hooked up to machines without a heart, received Jake's ticker, and who knew? Very, very shortly thereafter was back in the land of the living. <laughs> yes. So, tell us how you learned that Days had this particular trick up its sleeve and that they now wanted to bring Stefan back. Uh, yeah, it was uh, it was pretty interesting. I was in a place where again, feeling a little despondent. I felt, and I had my, my wife and I were on our way to the gym one morning and she asked me a question about work and I was very short with my response. And she was kind of taken aback that I was responding in that way as it regards to work. And I said, I'm sorry. I just, I'm sorry. frustrated right now. I, I feel like, um, I feel like 
my character is stuck and no one quite knows what to do with him. And so if you hear any frustration in my voice, I'm not frustrated with you or the question you asked. It's my frustration with, I, I just, I, you know, I don't know where this character is going and, you know, I'm not working very much as much as I'm used to. And it was just weird. And so we talked about that for a little bit and then arrived at the gym and I'm, uh, let's see, it was right after I had finished like rolling out on the foam roller. I always start out on the foam rollers because the stretch is just as important as the workout. And at least when you get into your forties, uh, and, uh, I had just started to warm up on, uh, I think, a treadmill, and I got a phone call from Albert. And I was like, okay. And this was at a time where a lot of people were losing their jobs. And I thought, all right, guess it's my turn. So I picked up the phone. I said, hey, what's going on? He said, you have a minute? I said, yeah. He said, don't worry. I know with what's going on, you would feel like you have to sit down for this conversation, but you can stand up. He said, um, the bad news is we're killing Jake. I said, okay. And I, I knew it was coming next. He said, the good news is, I said, Stefan Damaris back. He said, yep. <laughs> <laughs> I said, man, thank God, because I got to tell you, I, I've just felt, you know, a little discouraged at work because I, I, I feel like, you know, no one really knows where to take this character and he's caught in a rut. I said, he's like, how do you feel? I said, dude, I'm so excited. So excited. So that's, that's how I found out. And within, you know, a week, Jake was gone and, Stefan had the Iron Man contraption on his on his chest and and the rest is history, as they say. You got rolfed, you know, it's 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 I got rolfed. company to yeah. be in. Um, yeah, so not to be confused with the with the myofascial release. I I, I got rolfed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, myofascial release is a new like light motif of this conversation between the foam yeah. roller and that, but we're gonna move on. Um, right. yeah. to um you know, this presents you with another kind, kind of only in Soap's challenge, right? Where now you have to approach playing a brainwashed version of a recently returned from the dead, Stefan. So yes. how did you approach that? Again, with honesty, uh, it was not too terribly difficult because the whole thing felt like a fever dream. Um and like as I was reading the scripts, that was my first thought of like this is this this is like a fever dream, and I thought, oh right, it's like a fever dream, and that's what's got to go on in his head is that the thoughts have to come from that place, you know, from the place of like oh okay oh this is going on now wait what I did what wait I was where and so it was it was again just playing it honestly and and embracing the confusion of it all. And I, I, I think I'd, I'd like to say it worked again. I didn't watch it, so I don't know. <laughs> I still have a job, so I think it worked. But generally speaking, you know, was there any challenge at all to find the character again? You know, as you mentioned, Stefan speaks differently than Jake. He carries himself differently than Jake. They were two very different people. Yeah. And I think that's why it was not difficult at all. It was, it was very easy for me to get back into it because uh, it, it almost, uh, and I think I said this to Albert when I started, uh, when when Stefan was finally back to life, uh, it, it, it felt like I learned about Stefan through Jake, learning what Stefan was not by learning who Jake is or was. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. So so it, it I felt like I almost got to know him better. So is working with Camila on the Stefan Gabby romance different at all 
for you from an acting perspective than it is working uh, with her on the Jake Gabby dynamic was? No. Again, I think it's because the characters are so different from one another that, you know, their thoughts are different, their movements are different, their voices are different. Uh, and and so it's it's just, again, from a very honest approach, it just makes sense to just play every moment for what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, well, again, Stefan now has crossed paths with the Jamara brothers a lot, but he's had to mostly contend with both Lee and EJ as rivals and threats to his happiness since he's been alive again. So tell us <laughs> yeah. about working with their portrayers, Remington Hoffman, who plays Lee, and Dan Furigal, who plays EJ. Remington Hoffman has got to be the nicest guy in Los Angeles, and he <laughs> might be the nicest person in the world. Uh, he is never without a smile on his face. He is never short of compliments. Uh, He is just, he is the personification of gratitude. Uh, And he's just such a gem of a human being. Um, He's great. And then Dan, Dan's awesome. I mean, Dan and I have become pretty close friends in our personal lives. And so um, it's really fun because our interactions are nothing like Stefan and EJ's. I mean, our personas are nothing like Stefan and EJ. Um, we're just goofballs who like to tell irreverent jokes, you know, like do tough mutters together, which we did last, you know, a couple of weeks ago. And, um, Dan brings it, man. He is a powerhouse of an actor. I just finished, uh, judging the Emmys and Dan's tape blew me away. Like his performance blows me away every day. Um, he's one of those partners that, you know, I feel makes me better because I feel like I have to rise to his level every time. And, um, it's fun on set. We'll always try to one up each other with, with little things, whether it's a hand gesture, whether it's a smack on the ass on the way out, whether it's something that is not scripted and absolutely not rehearsed, we'll do it for the, we'll save it for the take and surprise one another. And it's so much fun. That's awesome. Yeah. Now your uh, your old poor Chuck buddy and former mm. GH co-star Steve Burton is back in the Salem mix as Harris. Have you gotten to see him at the studio? And in your heart of hearts, do you think that he's jealous that you've formed another musical bromance? <laughs> your day player group. Uh, the day players. Uh, so yeah, I see Steve every time he's in the studio and every time I'm in the studio at the same time because our dressing rooms are next to one another. So yes. Uh, we see each other often. It's it's like having a brother back. I, I love Steve dearly as as found family in this life. Uh, and yeah, it's it's <clears throat> it's awesome having him back. Certainly uh, in the building and on the same canvas. Will our paths cross in Salem? That's yet to be determined. Uh, I certainly hope that they do. I think that would be fun. Uh, I'm sure that, you know, obviously Davies people will love it, but the general hospital people will be very happy. Uh, so yeah, I love having him back. And as far as the music thing goes, Steve, uh, was the first person I called when the day players concept was forming. And my first, um, communication to Steve and the, and Bradford and, uh, Scott, my first communication to them was, Hey, I'm thinking of forming this band with some guys at days. You guys okay with that? Because you know, I kind of feel like they're they're my first my first love, right? And so, uh, I wanted to make sure that 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 was kosher with them, and they, you know, I had their blessing, even though 
we weren't really doing tours as Port Chuck anymore because we were in the middle of the pandemic and not able to tour anyway. And we were doing these, um, you know, shows where we would broadcast them from a recording studio. But um, so, yeah, my first communication was to them. And of course, I had their blessing. And then I called Steve and actually picked his brain on a few things because uh, Steve and Scott kind of took the reins on Port Chuck as far as from a, a band manager standpoint figuring out the logistics of planning a tour and, you know, you know, renting a car here and, and talking to the, to the sound technicians at this about a back line for the, you know, with the speakers and the mics and everything. And so I had to kind of pick their brains on, on how to navigate that world. So no, uh, it was nothing but blessings. And um, he's, he's very happy. So the day players <clears throat> of Eric Martsoff, who plays Brady, Wally Kurth, who plays Justin, as well as GH's Ned. Yeah. And Carson Boatman, who plays Johnny. So what yes. has it been like to perform with them and tour with them? So much fun. <laughs> it's awesome. Working with them is, is is I mean, it's great. They're all so, everybody in this band is so uniquely musically talented that it never feels like work. Uh, and it, it didn't with the Chuck guys either, but uh, it never feels like work. We have just great chemistry with one another. There are no egos. Um, there are moments where we'll disagree, you know, whether it's all four of us or, you know, two will be over here, two over here, or one, you know, one thinks one thing and three of the guys think another, we will disagree on something never in a heated way and always be able to be like, Hey, here's my viewpoint. Here's my viewpoint. Always making the decision that's best for the show and for the band. And uh, that's what I love about these guys is, I mean, I feel like I've, I've found, you know, three more brothers and uh, our, our chemistry as humans is great. Our musical chemistry is great. <clears throat> and uh, we put on a hell of a show. Well, we, we should be touring. So tell us yeah. uh, some cities you're coming to. Saturday the 22nd, we're going to be in the Detroit area. Uh, at the Comedy Castle, I believe. And there are still a few tickets left for that. We are, unfortunately, if you haven't purchased tickets, uh, sold out for our Batavia, Illinois, Chicago adjacent show on Sunday, the 23rd. So if you still want tickets, uh, you can get them for the 22nd in Detroit. And then the weekend of June 4th, we are in Oklahoma City and Dallas. And we have something else in the works for later in the summer, I'm not sure if that's announced yet, so I'm not going to say anything. Hey, you can go to uh, thedayplayersband.com to purchase tickets, and you can follow us at the Day Players Band on on Instagram. So we we've touched a little bit on how topsy turvy your characters' personal lives have been in the last couple of years, but it seems like a very happy and stable time in your own. Last year, you tied the knot with your beautiful wife, Isabella, and you actually posted a video of the very funny and very sweet way that you proposed to her on uh, the Instagram. Uh, but for anyone yes. who's sick, can you tell us about the unique way that you popped the question? Yeah, so I, I knew I, you know, obviously knew I wanted to marry her. I knew uh, around the, the time I wanted to propose to her. Uh, I didn't want to do it on the holidays, but I certainly wanted wanted it to happen before the holidays. Um, and I racked my brain with, you know, what to do. And we're not, even though I'm a public person, we're not public people. We, you know, I, I would never even conceive of doing it at like a sporting event or a concert or whatever. 
So I thought, okay, what, what, what do we love? And we love hiking. And we always, you know, we frequently hike with her parents uh, who live locally and also with my daughter. Uh, now our daughter, she's her stepdaughter. So uh, I thought, okay, so that could be interesting. I'll do it on a hike. Well, I don't want to just like be on a hike and get down on one knee. Maybe I fall down on one knee. <laughs> and so she is such a caretaker. She's actually in nursing school now. And I thought, oh my God, if I fall down, she'll be so distracted with like, oh my God, what happened? I got to take care of him. She's not even going to see it coming. And so I set this whole elaborate scheme in place. I called her parents the day before and asked their permission and wasn't a surprise to them. They knew where it was headed. We have a very, very close relationship. Uh, and so I asked them for their blessing and also for their help. And, um, you know, I said to, to her dad, hey, I'm going to when we will meet you at your house, I'll give you the ring. And um, when I fall down, I'm going to ask you for an ace bandage and then you're going to produce the ring the, or the box that has the ring in it. And I, I asked her mom, I said, so your part uh, can be, if it's OK with you, to be taking I'm going to ask you to take a picture of us on my phone. And because we got to get the video right, because it didn't happen if you didn't get video. <laughs> so I said, can you please pretend like you're taking a photo, but actually be recording a video instead of us taking a picture together. And after the picture, I'm going to fall down. <laughs> and so uh, we did. And uh, I got their blessing and uh, we went on our hike. And oh, that morning, as we were getting ready for the hike, I said to I said to Isa, I said, man, my ankle just it's so it's like sticky. It doesn't feel right. It, ah, I wonder if well, I should ice it or stretch before we go. Yeah. And so I was like, nah, I'll be fine. I'll, I'll just, you know, I'll put, I'll put some, you know, Arnica on it. I'll be, I'll be okay. Take some Advil. And so then we're getting ready and she says to me something about marriage. And I said, whoa, 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 whoa. slow down, slow down turbo. <laughs> if this goes the distance, I mean, I'd gotten into like, I didn't want her to expect that it was happening. So like a couple weeks prior to it, I started feigning that I was having like cold feet about marriage. And, you know, I would always say, well, if this goes the distance, here's, you know, here, you know, yes, we could get married there. But if this goes the distance, slow down, let's just live in the moment. Evil. And evil. so that evil, evil, totally. And so that morning she brought it up again. I was like, what? slow down. Like, what is going on? She's like, what, what do I need to propose to you? And she gets down on one knee and fake proposes to me. And I said, stop right there. Our daughter was in the room. I said, Harper, take a picture of this, please. Um, Cause it's funny. And Harper took a picture. So I have a photo of us getting ready that morning of her down on one knee, asking me to marry her. Amazing. Little did she know it was going to happen to her like two hours later. Amazing. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, now, how involved yeah. were you in wedding planning? Oh, very, very. Uh, we were equally as involved. Uh, you know, w if if there were things I couldn't do because I was here at work, you know, she would take care of. But we were we were pretty equally involved in everything. What yeah. are the most vivid memories that you have of the big day when you think back on it? Oh God, uh, just how pure it felt. Honestly, it was just the perfect day. 
the only thing that would have made it more perfect is if my dad and stepmom were able to be there. Uh, other than that, I would not have changed a thing. Uh, she uh, is Argentine. She comes from an Argentine family who moved here about 20 years ago. And uh, it was important for me to do my vows in Spanish uh, because I speak Spanish. And um, their Spanish is different from the Spanish that I've learned. I, you know, Growing up in Los Angeles, you learn Central American Mexican Spanish. And their Spanish is more of like a little bit Italian, a lot of Castilian Spanish from Spain, and you know, maybe some, some Portuguese mixed in there. Uh, and so the inflections are different. The cadence is different. The conjugations can be different. And so it was really important for me to get my vows down in Spanish. And the funny thing was, I ended up writing them in Spanish and, you know, obviously reading them because they were like two or three pages. Um, and on the spot, I remember realizing that I hadn't written them down in English, but I was able to just translate on the spot. And it's because I read the Spanish vows first and then translated to English so that, you know, all of us white people in the audience could could understand. <laughs> I love yeah. That. Yeah. Um, now your daughter. Harper and my, I, I will say my dance with my mom was really special. Uh, it was, you know, I and I heard the song we danced to the other day and I I was with Issa and I were in the car and I turned to her. I said, my God. This is making me think of our, you know, my mom's and my dance. And, and, and I cried through the entire, I just stopped uh, because I was just grateful. You know, you reach a point in life where um, not only, and I think kid, you know, having a kid has done this to me, you feel your own mortality, uh, but you feel the mortality of, of your parents. And so on one hand, where it was very difficult for me, not to have my father there and my stepmom having my mom there who I'm very close with uh, just filled me with the most profound sense of gratitude <clears throat> and it was a moment that I will I will take to my grave it was really special may I ask what the song was <laughs> a groovy kind of love love it by Phil Collins yeah yeah yep what would you have done Steph if he had been like who let the dogs out? <laughs> I would be like, wow, that's great. Yeah. Always gets me emotional. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. Okay. Well, Harper, your daughter turned nine on January 7th, the day that I did she not did. turn nine. Um, the last you did time, once. Yeah, once upon a time. Yeah, once upon a time, I did. Yeah. Um, the yeah. last time you were on the podcast, she was very into dinosaurs. Please update mm. us on her current interests. She is still very into dinosaurs, not as. I mean, I think when we spoke, she was probably around three or four, and I could show her a picture of a dinosaur. We had flashcards, and she would tell me 30 or 40 different super obscure dinosaurs. Like, I'm talking like Cosmoceratops, Pachycephalosaurus, uh, 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 Dimetrodon, uh, which actually technically isn't a dinosaur, but... Um, uh, you know, spinosaurus, like these crazy dinosaurs that you wouldn't expect a three-year-old to know, he could rattle off. And now it's funny. She hasn't retained all of that, but I still think that that does a lot for their brains when they're younger. Uh, but she's still very into dinosaurs. She's equally into princesses and stuff like that. Uh, she is in jujitsu and has um, 
we started her in jujitsu probably three, four, about four months ago, maybe. And from the moment the first class ended, she said, I want to do this every day. And so she's really into that. She's in the school musical. Uh, she's, she's got her hand in a lot of different fires and I love it. I love it. That's so awesome. So as, as she gets older, what are you finding that you most enjoy about raising your daughter? Oh man, what is it that I most enjoy? I mean, I enjoy her. I enjoy the purity of her spirit. I enjoy, uh, how imbued with love she is. She is just, she is, you know, I said earlier, Remington is the personification of gratitude. This little girl is the personification of love and and purity and she just everything she does is 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 so full of this genuine passion that she has for life and for people and um you know i don't care how many roles i take on in my career being her dad is is my favorite role i'm ever going to have and being a father period is the best role i'm ever going to have because for me it doesn't get any better than than raising a child Um, now you and Kirsten seem to have really good vibes as co-parents. So what is your best piece of advice about navigating co-parenting relationships? Uh, leave the bull aside, deal with your demons when you're by yourself, figure it out. Uh, you know, figure out if you have, if you still have feelings, um, you know, ill feelings, whatever feelings toward the person, find a way to distill them on your own so that you can be there for the child. Because at the end of the day, nothing is more important than raising that child. No grudge. No, well, you did this to me, you know, whenever uh, is more important than raising this kid in a positive, productive, healthy environment. And so many parents get caught up in the minutia of divorce of you hurt me, you did this to me. And it's not until you can fully release that, that you can be a fully present parent to your child. I think that's, as a child of divorce, very good advice. Yeah. Um, Well, Brandon, we have just had the best time with you and we could just keep talking forever, but our time together is coming to a close. But before we let you go, is there anything you would like to say direct to the Days fans who embraced you as Stefan, then embraced you as Jake? And are now embracing U.S. Stefan all over again. Yeah, it is with profound gratitude that that I I send my love to all of you and excuse me that I send my love to all, all of you and thank you for embracing me as Stefan Jake Stefan uh, over the years. <laughs> you know, stepping stepping into a recast is never easy, and it's not. Um, you know, a lot of actors will say it's not ideal. But uh, I have been, at least I feel, welcome since day one. And I owe that to the fans. Uh, I owe our 58 years to the fans. And uh, it's just, it's been a fun ride. And I can't wait to see what happens in the future. Well, neither can we. And I'm so happy we yeah. were able to make this work. And thanks so much Thank for your time today. All right. Take care. Have a great day. You too. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you to Brandon Barash for being our guest. If you like this podcast, please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Be sure to pick up a new issue on sale now and come back next week for another podcast. Podcast.